Because I think it's important as VCs, it's important. I mean, I'm, of course, a global investor. So if, for me, it's, it's part and parcel of my life. But I think generally, um, people need to be a lot more aware of what's going on in, in different parts of the world. Because we're connected. Obviously, this pandemic has shown it uh, in, in multiple ways, but we're connected in more ways than we think, uh, not, not just at the human level, uh, but but even at the at the business at the investment level. So, I think it's important. I think there's a there's a gap there for for somebody to really you know tap into for the U.S. market. Hello, and welcome to Drinks with the VC episode two. Thanks for tuning in from whatever platform you are using. I am Vic Laquara, co-founder and managing director of Green Cow Venture Capital. And I'm joined by my friend and co-hostess with the mostess, Bree Hansen, who leads business development for Berkeley and Associates. Thanks, Vic. Before we start the show, two disclaimers. The first disclaimer is that this is not your typical venture podcast. We assume that you, the listener and the viewer, can Google things like stage, industry, focus, average check size, etc. Yeah, our goal is to let loose and shake things up a bit. And in the process, get to know the person behind the yes or the no investment decisions. We'll even touch on some hot button topics and current events. And of course, get insights and opinions from our guests on where they think we're all heading. The second disclaimer is yes, guests and interviewers do consume alcoholic beverages during the taping of this show. We do so responsibly and ask that everyone do so as well. On that note, let's get started. Can you believe it? Episode one is under our belts and we haven't been canceled. How does it feel? Oh, there's still time. Yeah, true. Uh, we'll make an effort. <laughs> Are you as charged up about the next guest as I am? Absolutely. He's beyond impressive. I am really excited. Uh, it's so great to have yet another eclectic, talented, passionate individual. Uh, I have so much that I want to ask him. Uh, so let's just get right to it. Um, Mohanjit Jolly is a partner at Iron Pillar, an Indian-focused growth stage fund. He has 23 years of operational and investment experience. Most recently, he spent nine years at DFJ, where he established their India operations and oversaw their India venture portfolio. Prior to that, he was handpicked by Guy Kawasaki himself to be a partner at Garage Technology Ventures. He also worked uh, with Caltech and JPL to launch a technology incubator called Via Space. He holds an MBA from UCLA and a bachelor's and master's from MIT in aeronautics and astronomics engineering. Please welcome the only rocket scientist on this podcast, Mohanjit Jolly. MJ, it's so great to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's, a, it's an honor to be um, on this platform with, with you, Vic, and Bree. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Let's start with a drink. Okay, McAllen 18, why did you choose this scotch? Well, uh, so a little bit of history. Um, I actually did not drink until I was, I believe, a junior in college. 
still makes me an underage drinker, but um, I had not tasted anything. I grew up very sheltered. So my first drink, uh, being in a fraternity, uh, was beer. And uh, I started, uh, initially didn't like it, then I started loving it, and I became actually a brewer. And I used to give tours at the Sam Adams Brewery in, in the Boston area way back when. Uh, fast forward, uh, when I uh, you know, came back uh, to the US after a stint in India, um, my friends uh, exposed me, they said, look, uh, to wine. And they said, you're in uh, the neighborhood of Napa, Calistoga, Sonoma, et cetera, you've got to get into wine. So, you know, I, I um, experimented a little bit with, with primarily reds, cabs, and, and, and pinots. But then when we launched Iron Pillar, um, my entire partnership was, uh, you know, typical Indian <laughs> uh, folks and, and, and those in the, in the audience or viewers who understand sort of the Indian, especially Indian male makeup, um, you know, single malt is the way to go. So they all would just have single malts all the time. And so over the last really five years, I have uh, gotten accustomed to single malt as my drink of choice um, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you don't have to go back and forth to the bottle and make runs uh, as you might do for, for beers and so on. So you just, uh, you know, pour one and depending on how much you want to nurse it, you nurse it. Um, McAllen uh, specifically is just a, a legendary brand and I, I realized that um, in the spectrum of scotches you can go from smooth to what's called very peaty or smoky. I'm not a big peaty smoky fan. I'm sort of somewhere in the in the middle and McAllen is one that uh, even if you've never had a scotch in your life uh, you can open up a bottle of, uh, of a McAllen 18 it just goes down very very smoothly uh, without getting you, you know, all tipsy after, you know, uh, a first couple of sips. And you can nurse it. You can nurse it. You can, uh, if you want, you can add some soda. You can add a couple of, um, uh, you know, bits of ice to it. I like it neat, which is, which is, you know, straight up, if you will. And I like sipping it uh, while I'm reading a good book or, or binge watching Netflix or whatever I'm, I'm, I'm doing or, or getting, uh, you know, getting my financials in order and talking to the missus late at night. Uh, that's really when I need, uh, you know, single malt. So that's the reason for McAllen specifically. It's just a brilliant brand and it goes down smooth. I feel like that's a walking advertisement for McAllen. I, this is great absolutely. product placement. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm willing to order some swag if, uh, if, if the distillery would, uh, would, would let me have it. Well, yeah. speaking of swag, you opened up our uh, pregame gift ahead of time, which was partly the McAllen 18, but it was also uh, a glass um, that, that, we, that you're drinking it out of. Yes. Um, Brie. Yes, I know from personal experience, MJ, you have pretty much a library full of shot glasses from your trips around the world. So we almost got you a shot glass, but um, we figured you already had enough. Um, most people abandon their shot glasses in their college years, but you have kept quite the collection. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your shot glass collection? Of course, of course. So look, the deal I have with the missus is uh, and I'm a collector, by the way. I collect all sorts of little tchotchkes, um, and, and I can talk some more about that. But the deal I have with, with Vinny, my much better half, is I can collect things as long as uh, it, it doesn't cost a lot and it doesn't occupy much space. So everything I have in terms of collections can either be put in a box or be you know, displayed on a shelf. And so 
Shot glasses, um, you know, I just realized I love to travel. I've always loved to travel. I've been to all 50 states. I've been to, you know, 60 plus countries. And I always, you know, try to pick up something, again, small that's easily transportable. Can, if I can look at, if I look at it, it, it uh, immediately triggers a memory in my mind. And uh, what better way to do it than a shot glass? And, and the reality is I've actually had uh, some sort of alcohol uh, out of each one of those 350 glasses that I have in my collection uh, today. So, uh, <laughs> one so. <laughs> for each day of the year. <laughs> but thankfully, it was it over over decades. So, so it's not as if uh, you know I destroyed my liver in in in, in one year. Um, it's but, not a uh, collection of dead brain cells, then, is what you're saying. Well, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure there would be more brain cells had I not imbibed uh, across <laughs> 350 shot glasses. But, um, but yeah, it's just it's just the, you know little memory. So that and and refrigerated magnets are are two very location specific collections, uh, you know, that I have. So if you look at, we have two fridge uh, refrigerators, as a typical Indian family does. One in the garage, one in the house. And the garage fridge is the one that's just completely full of, uh, of magnets. And, and I can actually have the kids tell me, hey, you remember when? And then they'll, you know, rattle off a bunch of uh, little anecdotes that they, that they still remember from, uh, from our travels. That's awesome. So you've lived all over the place. Uh, you've traveled all over the world. Uh, what place has left the biggest mark uh, and impacted your life the most? Well, I think, um, I mean, I have to say India. And, and, and so just a little bit of uh, history. So I was born there, uh, but, uh, you know, I was, a, I was a 13 year old when I moved or the family moved to the States. And so I did my high school and college and everything. And then I did have a chance, as you said in the intro with DFJ specifically in 2007 to, uh, to move to India and, and set up DFJ's operations and run it for, for five years. And so the kids at the time, when we moved there, three kids were six, four, and one and a half. And uh, there was a very specific reason, and it sort of weaves into the question you just asked, there was a very specific reason to move from Silicon Valley to Bangalore in 2007. The reason was, of course, on the professional front, I could help catalyze you know, the, the uh, venture ecosystem that was just starting to develop uh, in India. And I, I feel I did contribute to that uh, over those five years. But just as importantly, you know, I feel, and I still feel, especially in this pandemic, I feel like we live um, here in Silicon Valley in what I call the fifth order bubble, right? So the US is a bubble. You got two bodies of water on either side. You've got California, which most of the 49 states don't quite understand. You've got Northern California, Silicon Valley, and Sand Hill Road, or Foothill Expressway, or whatever you know, street you want to choose. So that's the fifth order bubble. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like it was time, and it was the opportunity of a lifetime for my wife and I to take our kids, and especially in these formative years, to expose them to what the real world is all about. And we talk about you know, sitting here, you know, changing the world, changing the world, but I think many people who talk about changing the world actually don't know what the world is really all about. So I just said, you know, what better way to do it than to actually immerse oneself in it and, and live there. So I would say those five years through the ups and downs and through, you know, the bait and switches and expectations being high and then, then being thrown to the floor like a typical, you know, transient uh, in, in, in India is like, 
uh, that was that was you know life changing, uh, not only for me and my wife, but especially for the kids. So I think, you know, that's where you know yes, we lived in this. A friend of mine calls it the non-resident Indian ghetto. It looks like Orange County, right? You got rows of fantastic homes and palm trees and 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 uh, these orange you know sort of Portuguese roofs. Uh, but you step right outside that gate, and boom, you know the the sounds and the smells and the and the visions are right there. And so when we were in Bangalore, we adopted a slum that was right outside. We adopted a, um, a school for the blind and an orphanage. So we basically said, we're going to do whatever we can to, you know, to, to impact. And the kids were actually at the forefront as young as they were. And so they still have those memories. And my hope is, and only time will tell whether, you know, that actually has or had an impact as they, as they you know, they are young adults now and as they go on with their with their lives. So I would say those five years in in Bangalore, just kind of dealing with the ups and downs and um, and hopefully having an impact on others was probably the most impactful, uh, you know, for me personally. So where do you think is your must go to place after COVID? Must go to place after COVID. Um, you know, believe it or not, I've actually never been to either Australia or New Zealand, uh, even though I've been, you know, most places in Europe and even parts of Africa and Latin America, not been to ANZ as they call it. Um, and I'd love to go, especially, I guess, New Zealand, because everything I hear about the place before they really shut it down for any, <laughs> any future, you know, travel and, and keeping that sort of pristine uh, environment intact, uh, I'd love to be able to do that. Uh, I'm a, I'm not a very religious guy, but I'm a very spiritual guy. So, so mountains, water, nature, you know, those things actually uh, have a fantastic uh, impact on me and lifts my spirit. So, uh, you know, doing so in a, in a place that I've never been would be, uh, you know, would be fantastic. Well, we know you're itching to travel after quarantine, so we're going to start our VC unboxing segment where our VC guest opens up one of the pre-delivered boxes, or bags in this case, yep. for a fun surprise. So please open bag number one. All right. For everybody, this is bag number one. Oh my goodness. All right. I love so, it. So I will, I will describe, cause I know there are some people who <clears throat> may be listening at home. He pulled out some led sunglass or some glasses with some lights and he got a vest there. Um, let's see the vest. What does the vest say on it? It says Mojo. Yes. Uh, which, which happens to be one of my several stage names um, or nicknames that have been given. Uh, I, I'm assuming you got it, uh, you got it embroidered or did you, did you find it this way? This is uh, remarkable. Thank you. No, this is a one of a kind vest. So every, every VC on our show, since you are an investor, we get you a vest. Oh, <laughs> one great. that's one of a kind just for you because we don't want you going to a conference or Burning Man with another vest that someone else is wearing. That's the most embarrassing thing that can happen is showing up to a South by Southwest party with the same vest as someone else. 
True that, true that. By the way, Burning Man, I have never been to, so that's definitely one of the places I will visit. Uh, once we we know. We don't know if Vinny's going to let you go, but <laughs> <laughs> if she lets you go. This is uh, awesome. This is awesome. All right. You should absolutely pair that with some tights, spandex, uh, a tutu. It, it is all fair game. Yeah, what would be your Burning Man outfit? I, I would like to hear about your your uh, what your wardrobe would be. So um, I have uh, long, very curly hair. So as a Sikh, we're not supposed to cut our hair. And, um, and, and so even though I've got a little bit of receding hairline, uh, I've got long curly hair, so I don't need much in terms of sort of a, you know, uh, the, the hairdo, if you will. Uh, the LED lights um, on, on these glasses are fantastic. I do have um, uh, uh, spandex pants that I bought for um, a party, never used. And I have uh, a leopard, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, jacket, leopard skin jacket, I guess you would call it. Again, never worn. So I'm just gonna pull all of that together. And my guess is the one place where I will not be sort of, um, uh, you know, scrutinized uh, is, is probably Burning Man. So, so I am, I'm looking forward to taking, taking all the things that I've been saving in my, in my small closet uh, that have never been worn and put it all together. And, and maybe as a follow-up, um, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot a, I'll do a selfie and send it to you guys. You can use it as an add-on, uh, you know, for, you better put the glasses on. I, I do need to put the glasses on. If they fit under the, the turban, that's always a little bit of a, a tricky situation. It's a very small market. You can just hold them up. Way. You can just hold them up so we can, you know, get, because I kind of, I, I liked the Elton John look. I felt like that kind of had, and then they're programmable with an app as well. So I wanted you to be able to color coordinate with your outfits during the, d the day and night, because you're going to be wearing that jacket on those cold playa nights. <laughs> This is the ultimate way to accessorize uh, the turban. Okay. Oh, wow. Can I just do the rest of it with? There you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me see if I can. Uh, oh, darn it. My, my, uh, my computer does not have a USB port. It's uh, one of the new Apples. So I can't. Um, uh, but let me see if the battery is charged. For here. the viewers of the podcast, I think they're going to get enough of a glimpse into what the future might hold for you at Burning Man. And that was, <laughs> that's the goal. That's the goal. All right. All right. If, no, if I don't, Vinny I don't obviously have approves uh, of you going to Burning Man. Speaking of Vinny, um, I know you yeah. guys have kind of a fun how I met your mother story. You guys met on the job. You want to tell us a little <laughs> bit about uh, how you met your wife? Yeah, um, it's uh, just like my entire life, quite honestly. Uh, it seems to be a set of coincidences and, uh, and accidents, if you will. Um, so I was in business school, this is 96 uh, fall, and half a dozen of us uh, techie types, we decided, what the hell, let's um, rent a Winnebago, and we can crash in and we don't need a hotel uh, and let's just go and visit a bunch of tech companies in uh, so this was you know excite at home and and you know yahoo um had just gone public or was was about to go public and um uh you know and 3com happened to be one of the companies on the list and um because one of the guys had had a connection so in we go we get chaperoned in actually into the boardroom when eric benamu um, you know, the CEO of 3Com at the time uh, is, is in the middle of a board meeting 
as these, you know, six, uh, you know, um, you know, first year MBA students from UCLA walk right in. I think we've, we must have broken, you know, N number of SEC rules and regulations right then and there. And then there's, you know, the CEO of FedEx and PacBell and whoever else was, uh, was on the board at the time. And there was just this awkward silence. And then Eric, you know, very nicely talked about some other stuff that was obviously not sensitive, just to kind of fill the, the minute until he gave our chaperone the, um, the, the wink that, okay, it's enough. Let's, let's get these guys out. So we did. And then it was in the um, cafeteria where I saw Vinny. She was a, um, a, a marketing manager uh, at 3Com at the time. The way I could tell that she was a Sikh, again, long hair and a, um, um, you know, a stainless steel, typically it could be a metal bracelet in the, in the right hand. And I just, I just went for it and like, hey, this is who I am. How are you? And, uh, and that started, uh, I guess it was almost uh, a one and a half year long, you know, long distance sort of uh, relationship. I would drive my little Acura hatchback uh, up I've almost every weekend. It's, uh, oh, it's wow. amazing. I actually uh, passed, uh, you know, first year of <laughs> business school. And I proposed to her at the stroke of midnight, uh, 1997, 1998. Uh, at Half Moon Bay on the beach, where of course I was there <gasps> illegally, um, and we were not supposed to be there. So, so I've been breaking rules all my life. Um, uh, and now, of course, it's out for the public to consume. And <laughs> and then we got engaged in March when two. Uh, I still remember Vinny's extended families to their distress. Here's a guy who is unemployed, right? So, a second year of business school, who's unemployed, who's got loans from MIT that he has not paid. He's got additional loans from UCLA that he's going to have to pay. Mm. And why in the world would you get your daughter married to an unemployed guy with a ton of liability? So, so I had to sort of go through a bunch of interviews uh, during the, uh, the engagement, um, you know, party. I just, people probing like, okay, so, you know, what is your pro forma like? What, what are you going to be worth? What are you going to do? Uh, the maybe not man. in that much detail, but... Yeah, so, you know, and then we got married in November of 98. Uh, so that's uh, two years after I, uh, I met her, completely by accident uh, in, in the cafeteria. Well, when your wow. son gets married, if he needs a CFO to prepare his um, income statements for his fiance's uh, parents, I've got a guy. <laughs> <laughs> that may be a separate line of business uh, there. I got it. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Indian matchmaking. Pro Especially for the, for the Indians. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So... I, like you, was a little bit of a rebellious uh, young Indian uh, male that spent a lot of time and grew up in California. Uh, I, I hear that you love Tupac maybe as much as, as I do. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. West, West side. Th he's throwing up the West Side sign. <laughs> uh, I know he's legit. Um, you know, All Eyes on Me was probably the first album that I remember memorizing and, and listening to uh, ad nauseum. Um, I have a little bit of a hypothetical for you. Uh, and yeah. it, it, it'll all uh, come around uh, here in a second. But let's say Tupac is still alive today. And 
he throws his support behind a candidate or a cause that you strongly disagree with. Hmm. Would you stop listening to Tupac? Brilliant question. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting you ask that question because uh, we've, we've had a similar conversation. So I'll come back to answering the question directly in a, in a, in a minute, but uh, we've had similar conversation with um, our oldest, who is a big Chris Brown fan. And, um, and, and, and so as a musician, uh, the guy's a legend, but um, as an individual, uh, he's, he's had some issues. And so um, at least Vinny and I have, have struggled. Um, uh, you know, do we, do we look purely uh, on the, um, you know, on, on, on the mu music or the artists or the, or the gift that this individual has, or do we need to, you know, really think about this as a person because that person's actually having an impact on, in this case, our, our child or our children. So in that particular scenario, we erred on the side of the complete individual. Just because mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, art, uh, while uh, somebody may be incredibly gifted, uh, if they have the influence and the magnification, amplification across millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people, and that in some way, shape or form uh, breeds um, divisiveness or be, breeds, you know, kind of behavior that I simply um, am, am, am not okay with uh, at any level then I think uh, it's hard for me to, to appreciate that individual, right? Now, to go back to Tupac, um, look, uh, I mean, just taking the, the 2020 example or the last four years example, I'm not a big, big fan of, of, of the current president. Now, uh, if, if uh, one were to, to come to me and say, look, you know what? Uh, I know he's not a good individual, but I don't want to pay as much in taxes or, you know, I, I like this sort of America first uh, approach and look at the data, you know, what, what has, you know, what he has accomplished and so on. I can, I can, I can dig it, right? I can get into a civil conversation um, uh, to say, okay, I, I get it that you're, you know, for him uh, because of these, these, these reasons. What my issue becomes, um, whether it's this, the, you know, the president, or in Tupac's case, it's the, the moral compass issue, right? To mm -hmm. me, a person is a person first and anything else after that. So if that prerequisite or if, if that person is by his or her behavior um, uh, has, has sent a very strong signal that their morals or value system is very, very different than mine, then I have a very hard time you know, overcoming that. Uh, now, if Tupac were to say, hey, I, I like this, this particular person because of XYZ policies or mm -hmm. XYZ data, and even though I may not agree with it, I may say, look, I want open immigration. And he says, you know what? We should only make immigration plausible for you know, those who are going to add to the, to the US economy because we want them to be uh, masters and PhDs and what have you. Mm -hmm. I can sort of say, okay, I understand where you're coming from because you have that, you have that data, but, um, but, but somebody who's, you know, doesn't have that moral character, doesn't have the value system and is abusive or whatever the case may be, if that is indeed what Tupac stands for or, or stands behind, then I think I'm going to have, 
I'm going to have trouble. I uh, just, just yeah. overcoming that. Yeah. I hope that answers. I hope that answers the question. You know, I ask because just as it's really hard to extricate an artist from their work entirely, and, it, and it's hard to just appreciate the work sometimes without also thinking about the artist behind that work. Uh, as investors, you know, because today between social media and mainstream media, the companies and the individuals that we back as investors uh, are forced to, in a way, take a stand one way or another. Mm. And often they take stands in ways that we can't predict. And so, you know, my follow-up to that is just, you know, where does that line, where is that line for you as an investor? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think, um, I mean, the line for me is sort of where if you're, if you're going after, let's say, you know, social media today, right? So, so there's one school of thought that says, Hey, it's a platform. So mm -hmm. anyone who wants to say anything, it's free speech. We are the enablers. We're not taking a stand one way or the other. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, so from, from my standpoint, I'm, 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 I don't prescribe to that particular argument. Again, for the same reason that I mentioned previously, because there's this amplification effect. So mm -hmm. I think there have to be certain, uh, certain guardrails, right? Um, and and, and I, what I'm hearing, you know, Dorsey and Zuckerberg and, and hopefully, you know, Pichai and Wojcicki and all these folks uh, talking about is to understand, uh, you know, things like hate speech, things like um, uh, at least have a mechanism to be able to flag it, right? Mm -hmm. And then let people who are, who are imbibing, uh, you know, this, this content, you know, make their, make their own decision. I mean, they're, they're sort of striking a fine balance between being open yet, um, you know, at least identifying what, what may be, um, you know, very inflammatory or just untrue, uh, you know, set of, uh, set of statements. I mean, that is one thing that I am very, very concerned about. And so, you know, mm -hmm. I, I watched the documentary, for example, uh, The Social Dilemma and Tim Kendall, former Facebook and Pinterest, and now he's got, uh, you know, his new thing called Moment, is a very good friend and, and was a former colleague at Garage. And so we've talked about this um, where, you know, my worry is, and I see it in my kids, A, there's no, there, there's no such thing as, as privacy. So privacy simply doesn't exist for many of the young folks because the whole idea around social media is to get as many people to see you and therefore no, you know, um, no, no barriers and, and, and let, you know, let it, let it go. And I want to see how many likes and shares and blah, blah, blah I have. And then the other is of course, you know, how we're being programmed or we're being trained or we're being addicted to uh, doing things a, a certain way and being, being glued to, you know, our, our screens. I just, I don't yeah. think we understand fully, you know, what the downstream uh, impact of, of, of these kinds of uh, work streams is of course, uh, given the, the current pandemic, uh, as well. So I think, uh, you know, to answer your question more directly, there have to be certain sort of value pillars. And you say, okay, this is something that we are not going to do, or at the very least, we're going to flag as, as questionable, right? So there are, there's a spectrum uh, along which maybe you can have some, uh, some check marks, but to not have any check marks is a no-no in my book. Um, Look, there, there are certain things that, uh, you know, that, that we won't touch, that I won't touch, um, mm. you know, certain, certain sort of categories. But, 
but but the enabling technologies, I mean, AI at a broad level is is, is considered that. So, um, you know, on the one hand, it's it's very very exciting. Um, you know, it's becoming it's going from a differentiation factor to a hygiene factor. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I am concerned uh, that if if this were to go, uh, you know, unchecked, you know, yes. what the uh, what the eventual outcome ends up being. Which makes it tricky, by the way, for, you know, in, in the venture business, of course, we, you know, we're in the business of, of investing in something. We don't, we may not know what that may look like right. you know, about 10 years downstream. We may not lo- know what it looks like two or three years from now. Right. And yeah. so um, the other part of the question that I grapple with, and I don't have a good answer for is let's say you make an investment thinking you are investing in X. Yep. Right. And you throw enough smart people from around the world at it and, and, you know, there's this fanning out effect or ten- tangential effect, right? So let's call it a bowl. I call it a bowling pin analogy. You were going for that lead pin. And what you don't know is what the downstream uh, impact is going to be in terms of the overall technology development. And so what you thought was going to be something for the benefit of humanity turns out to be completely opposite, mm-hmm. you know, five, six, seven iterations downstream. So what do you do then? Right? And, right. and you may not have a say at that point, you're, you know, small potatoes on the board and, and, and what do you do now? I've not been in that situation thus far, but I wouldn't be surprised if I find myself, um, you know, in that conundrum. And, yeah. and I'll make the real-time decision, I guess, at that point. But that, that's something that does keep me up at night. Then you can just invest in a time machine, go back in time, and then not make the decision, like a Terminator 2 kind of situation, or yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just, you know. <laughs> no, no, but, but here's something, Bree. Here's something. So I... Uh, again, I am of the philosophy of no regrets, right? right. So what, what you do is you make a decision based on the data that you have right then and there and, and, and the checks and balances and your own sort of, you know, art and science and intuition sort of wrapped into, you know, a, a, an Indian masala. And you say, <laughs> okay, we're a go, right? And, uh, and have those turned out to be, you know, uh, imperfect or incorrect? Absolutely. But Right. Given where I was at that time, you know, would, would I have made a different decision? Uh, no. So I, I just say, you know what, you learn from it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Don't you try not to make the same mistake. You try to make new mistakes, um, yeah. but, uh, but try not to go back and say, I wish I could have, should have, would have. Yeah. So I know you prescribe, and I've only known you for a short period of time, but I know you prescribe to the sentiment, good begets good, Right. Uh, and I think, like me, you look at the Silicon Valley bubble and where we are as sort of like this uber meritocracy, right? Uh, I was reading an article the other day um, that was particularly around India's caste system and how it's ruining Silicon Valley. Uh, and to paraphrase the author, basically says that despite this uber meritocracy, um, you know, the caste system and some of the stigmas associated and propagated from it continue here in Silicon Valley. And, you know, I, I think I personally know uh, that I've been judged negatively based on uh, by another brown person, right? Another Indian person um, not necessarily on a caste basis, but, you know, just purely on the, the, the color of my skin. 
Have you had experiences like that? Have you had any experiences with, with that? Look, I've had, I mean, believe me, I've, I've had plenty of experiences, uh, generally speaking, given, given the way I look. I mean, in, yeah. in, you know, I, I landed when we first moved to the country, eventually, I mean, first landed in New York, but eventually ended up in South Central. And so South Central in the early 80s was a very, you know, it was Bloods and Crips killing each other. And, and there weren't that many Sikhs and turbaned, you know, kids around. So, so you can just imagine you know, what, what life in the early uh, weeks and months was, was like in the promised land, uh, so to speak. And, and just, I mean, believe it or not, just in the last, um, it was a couple of months ago, I, you know, I was walking and typically what I do now during the pandemic is I don't do video calls. If I, if I don't have to, I do what I call walk and talk. And, and so I do 25, 30,000 steps sometimes because I'm just walking nonstop. And, and there, I'm sure there are several people on my street or, or on the, the major thoroughfare saying there is a turban bearded guy pacing. Something bad is going to happen. I don't know what it is, but something bad is going to happen. But uh, about, I guess, a month and a half, two months ago, you know, big truck, big American flag comes zooming by, slams on the brakes, flips me off and just says, you know, go back to wherever the expletive you came from. And, uh, and, and so, you know, now, this was Palo Alto, right? This is not, I'm not talking about, um, you know, uh, a, a, a rally somewhere in the Midwest or, or, or the South. It's just, it's just uh, Palo Alto. And I was here, you know, post 9-11. And, and I had old, uh, you know, Caucasian ladies in downtown Palo Alto telling me, you, you, you know, effing Arab, uh, go back to where you came from. So, so that part of me, um, or, you know, those experiences have been there for the last 35 years. Okay, now uh, specifically an Indian versus uh, you know Indian kind of um, uh, you know bigotry or bias. Uh, maybe I'm oblivious, but at least I have not felt that uh, directly. Um, uh, I guess I've got I've got enough other people. <laughs> Don't worry about off on a daily basis that that <laughs> compared to that um, you know some of the some of the maybe. Uh, more nuanced uh, bias is, is something I, I uh, don't necessarily, uh, you know, internalize or realize or pay a lot of attention to. Uh, and then look, you, you just, you know, there, there are relatively speaking very few people who look like me. Definitely in the venture business, there are very few people who look like me. And, mm -hmm. and, and there is, I'm assuming, um, you know, some level of cognitive bias that exists in our, in our community as well. And so the only way uh, to overcome that is by, you know, being yourself and doing the right thing. And hopefully others that you've impacted in a positive way speak well of you. And so mm -hmm. if people hear about, you know, Mohanji, MJ, Mojo uh, in, a, in a positive light from other people that they trust or they have interacted with or co-invested with, um, then, you know, then you start to sort of chisel away at whatever that bias uh, may be. At least, you know, that's my approach. And, and I'm comfortable, you know, uh, with, with who I am. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's positive. I'll drink to that. Yes. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to gift number two so that we can um, keep things right. flowing. Number two. It is the blue bag with, uh, let's see. All right, we've got a book, we've got a book. 
Sinclair McKay, The Fire and the Darkness, The Bombing of Dresden. Amazing, amazing. This book, by the way, has been on my list of books to get and, uh, and, and read. Um, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for, for, for doing this, because I'm, as you are well aware, a big World War II fan. I'm not fan, but, uh, but um, uh, you know, I'm very intrigued by, by different um, bits and pieces that led to it and then what all happened uh, along the way. Yeah. What is it exactly about, you know, World War II that, that really fascinates you? You know, I am, um, I'm just a big history fan. So, you know, I just, I, I love history. I love, you know, when I read, I, I tend to read more nonfiction than fiction, uh, mm-hmm. just because I think um, many of the scenarios that one may think are brand new in our current environment, let's say, or, or the current world order. Mm-hmm. If one were to actually peel the onion and go back in time, um, you know, my guess is you would find, uh, you know, uh, indications or, or aspects of what's happening today have clearly happened in the past. So, so I, I tend to, you know, really sort of understand what was going on in different parts of the world at a particular moment in time that led to a certain series uh, of, uh, of events. And I think, you know, you, you, you start looking at, um, at some of the, the events, uh, you know, during the Depression era or 30s in Europe, especially especially Germany, and the and the rise to to power uh, that that Hitler had. Why was he able to? And and it's I mean it's amazing. You look at you look at Goebbels and you look at the the propaganda machine that he was. He he was the social media single handedly of the 30s and the 40s. I mean he he programmed the prefrontal cortex of, um, of of a vast majority to think a certain way. They weren't even thinking for themselves. They were thinking as he was, you know, sort of, sort of prescribing them to think. And so uh, you just, you, you read that and it sent, and I would encourage everybody. I mean, uh, the, there's a fantastic World War II uh, series that has been digitally mastered on, on Netflix and I've, I've, I've watched it twice. Uh, it's just remarkable how they slice and dice different major milestones, um, you know, war in Europe and the Pacific, uh, the 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 atomic bomb and so on and and really go through item by item what actually led to those events, and it actually made me shiver because of the similarities that I saw uh, between what was going on, let's say, in the early 30s in Germany, and unfortunately, a lot of the 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 misinformation and disinformation that uh, that happens to be you know part and parcel of our our 24-hour news channel. Uh, here in the U.S. in 2020, it's just—it's absolutely remarkable and uh, and terrifying at the same time. So I agree with you completely. Um, that's that's crazy. There's a lot of parallels. Um, I know a lot of VCs are history nuts. And um, is there anything that you're looking back on that's helping you anticipate for the future? So look, I mean, I think uh, I'm I'm the penultimate optimist. Right, so so the the pessimist says the bad things always come, right? Because that's just the way world has been. There are just bad things, come, bad characters come, things mm-hmm. go to hell, people turn against each other, 
world wars have happened, civil wars have happened, and so on. I am on the other side of that abyss. And I say, look, good things happen, right? Because the right set of characters come in and, um, and, and see what mistakes have been made and, and try to sort of unify people rather than divide them and, and um, you know, move forward. So, so even, you know, post-World War II, you know, whether it's the, it's the Marshall Plan or, or other sort of um, emergence of, of new, you know, world order, right? So 47, India got independence, Pakistan, Bangladesh, I mean, got independence. So World War II actually had an effect of then uh, creating freedom or independence for, for many countries through the 40s and 50s. And that started a journey uh, towards, uh, you know, eventual prosperity. So uh, similarly in, in, in the VC business, we would talk about how incredible companies are created uh, during the darkest periods, uh, mm -hmm. you know, global financial crisis or the, the dot-com bubble uh, bursting, or uh, I would imagine even during this pandemic, you know, five years downstream, we'll look back and say, oh my gosh, you know, this company was created that is now the next, uh, you know, DoorDash or Airbnb or Facebook, um, you know, what have you. Yeah. But by the way, one other thing I should mention on, on the World War II stuff is being an aeroastro guy, I've always been a big fan of aircraft and, and airplanes. And so the real sort of fighter jets, if you will, uh, and, and the British Spitfires and so on that, uh, that really uh, came into being and, and um, the air superiority or the air war uh, really became a big part of the, uh, the entire sort of six years was World War II. And so um, I got into it in, in two ways, one through the history angle, the other one was through, you know, looking at Jane's book and Jane's is one of these uh, Bibles of, uh, of, of as, as, as much of a, a, a lover, not a fighter I am, I actually have been fascinated with, with war machines for some reason, uh, ever since I was a child. So I've been reading up about, uh, you know, aircraft from different, different eras and, and, and weapons of different eras. So when I go to, you know, UK, we go to the British Museum, you know, everybody else goes to see the mummies I go to where the, the old uh, imperial, uh, you know, or, or medieval, um, you know, weapons are. And, and I just am fascinated with, you know, that aspect of it. So anyway, a little digression, but, but those are the two angles that got me into World War II. So you love war tools and business tools, huh? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, sometimes uh, there needs to be some weaponry or ammunition, as we call it, for our, our, our startups as well. Uh, to fight off competition, not in the not in the literal sense, but uh, but clearly uh, you've got to have those uh, those devices. I'd be remiss if I did not mention that we have another book that's heading your way uh, that I think is going to be a, a surefire uh, winner with you. So okay. look forward to that. That's something <laughs> something to look forward to. Um, speaking of of looking forward, uh, Modi plastered the news uh, in his support of Trump. And uh, we've, we've now sort of entered an era where we're making way for a new administration in the Biden-Harris administration. Um, I, I'm really interested as someone who is so cross-border in nature, the work that you do and the investments that you make, what does this change in administration mean for India, U.S., uh, not just relations, but, but really um, 
you know, technology, commerce, et cetera, between, between the two countries? Look, um, so two ways to answer that question. One is, uh, you know, Modi specific. So, so Modi is a prototypical politician, right? So what does a politician do? They have to be adaptable. They have to be flexible, almost bordering a chameleon in, in, in some cases uh, where, because they don't know what the, you know, when the changing of guard is going to take place in another country, which happens to be a very, uh, very close trading partner, let's say in this particular case, and he's going to be, uh, he's aware of this. He knows that he'll have to work with uh, Biden, even though there was a bromance going on, you know, with, with, uh, with Trump because of a lot of the uh, similar sort of ways of, of, of thinking, perhaps. I'm convinced, by the way, that uh, the two of them have, have a, an early morning call and a late night call on speed dial. And they, <laughs> they say, hey, what are you going to say tomorrow? And then what should I say, you know, tomorrow? And keep that 24 by 7 going. And maybe yeah. Bolsonaro there too. Who the hell knows? So anyway, but... Um, I think uh, fundamentally, though, there are certain um, massive tectonic shifts that are taking place, right? There's a whole sort of China uh, filling the vacuum. I think, you know, what's, what's incredible to me, and I was just speaking with a, a friend of mine in Hong uh, sorry, in Singapore uh, yesterday, and he said, it's amazing to me that the U.S. has not spent as much time uh, talking about the Ant Financial IPO being pulled and what ramifications that actually has on the broader sort of world order in terms mm -hmm. of China and the government and Xi Jinping sort of coming in and saying, you know what, we're going to take those rails and, and, and try to make the world a, a, an RMB or a yuan-centric uh, or digital yuan-centric, um, uh, you know, uh, global system. Mm -hmm. especially in the vacuum that's been, that's been created. Now, uh, having said that, uh, you know, Modi does have a make in India. It's a very India-centric um, uh, philosophy, which I think in, in, in the scheme of things is a good thing. India has the, you know, the youngest demographic uh, in terms of sheer population uh, in the world. And so when you have millions of people um, you know, coming into the, the, the workplace every single year, you've got to create this growth uh, to be able to accommodate and not have the unemployment rate go through the roof. And so I think uh, we, we need to move into technology. We need to move into manufacturing. We need to sort of bring in some of those skills and infrastructure uh, investment, et cetera. And I would imagine, you know, that, uh, that you know, the Biden-Harris um, um, you know, uh, next four years are going to try and collaborate uh, in terms of, you know, some give and take, right? Some import, export, some, uh, you know, that, that trade will, will, will have to continue uh, and will continue because I think both entities have it in their best interest to, to work hand in glove um, in part because of the, the, the China situation and, and, and Modi because of, you know, maybe because of Trump, but maybe because of the, the India first um, uh, philosophy, obviously he's, he's effectively stopped any Chinese investment in the country. Um, uh, he's, he's taken a lot of the Chinese apps, uh, you know, off the Indian ecosystem. So clearly uh, there's a very strong message, you know, that is being sent and therefore he will need us and he will need investments, whether it's from the U S treasury or government or venture capital, you know, to flow in, to bridge that gap that has now been created because of the Chinese sort of uh, departing. And they were very, very active in the Indian uh, venture ecosystem. 
Interesting. I, that's all new to me. That's, that's kind of your guys's uh, world. Um, yeah. yeah. The world is connected, Brie. I mean, that's the <laughs> thing, right? So it's, it's funny. I have my mom uh, who, who came up from LA because I wanted her to be safe here. LA County, of course, is the hotbed of coronavirus right now. So, so, so her, her to go thing is she, she watches, she watches, she watches um, world news, right? And so she watches two things. She watches BBC news and then she watches, I think, whatever it is, ABC News or something that's supposed to be world news. And her point to me was, you know, they call it world news, but there's really nothing about the world that they talk about in, you know, in, the, in the US. You're totally right. Yeah, you should talk about it. Because I think it's important as VCs, it's important. I mean, I'm, of course, a global investor. So f- for me, it's, it's part and parcel of my life. But I think generally, um, people need to be a lot more aware of what's going on in, in different parts of the world, because we're connected. Obviously, this pandemic has shown it uh, in, in multiple ways, but we're connected in more ways than we think, uh, not, not just at the human level, uh, but, but even at the, at the business, at the investment level. So mm-hmm. I think it's important. I think there's a, there's a gap there for, for somebody to really you know, tap into for the U.S. market. Well, we want to move on from kind of this world global history onto more personal, um, going back to you and a little bit more about your life. Now, you were, you know, this MIT guy who then decides to go to Mattel, which is a a strange shift. So why don't we open up the next gift and... um, Wow, okay. Let's... um, So I'm going to number three. That's correct. And, and be sure to give us the play-by-play here. So okay, for I, those listening, he's opening up a bag. And what's in that bag? It says magic eight ball, fortune teller, paperweight, ornament, <laughs> conversation piece. Wow. So yes, this, was, this is a, one of the toys at your um, alma mater, your old company, Mattel. Okay. And um, we know you went over there to make, you know, IOT. Is this your attempt at predictive analytics for toys? <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, again, an, a complete accident, Brie. It was not by, by design um, at all. And as, as crazy as it may seem to have gone from, uh, from MIT to, to Mattel, it's not quite as crazy as it may seem. So, um, this is fantastic, by the way. Uh, my eyesight is going, so I'm not quite sure um, if I should screw it off or, or open it another way. But let me let me answer your question while I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> um, so I was. Uh, how should I start this? So um, MIT. Then I, I worked for four years for a defense contractor designing spy cameras for the military. I was part of the team that fixed the Hubble. Uh, and then went to UCLA, uh, realizing I didn't have any business skills. I, and I didn't want to sit behind an HP workstation doing finite element modeling and engineering work. Uh, what? You know, kind of, uh, that sounds yeah, so that's what, I, that, that's what I did. Yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> it was actually quite cool because this, this is a company that um, invented what are called piezoelectrics. And then piezoelectrics are materials. If you pass a voltage through, they expand or contract depending on the voltage. And and, and, and they built the largest telescopes in the world. So, so the large telescopes in 
on Haleakala in Hawaii or down in Chile have these uh, large mirrors and the mirrors have to be pushed and pulled by these tiny piezoelectric motors effectively to compensate for the, uh, for, for uh, you know, the aberration in, in the atmosphere. Anyway, um, so I, I learned a ton there, but I started, there were 550 people. When I left, there were 110 because every six months we kept laying people off. So when the Democrats are in, 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 in the White House, defense budgets get cut. And so defense companies go through attrition. When Republicans come in, defense budgets uh, are lifted and boom. So I realized, you know what? I don't want somebody in the White House that are deciding my fate. And so let me just go and, and, and get some uh, skills. And, and so I went to, you know, <laughs> went to UCLA to kind of hang out for a couple of years and kind of figure that stuff out. And um, I uh, was just sitting in the, in the cafeteria one day and just kind of shooting the crap with, uh, with one of my colleagues uh, from my class, second year of business school. I knew I did not want to work for a large company. And so I was thinking, okay, should I go do a startup, join a startup, what it is? This is 98, by the way. And so um, uh, this gentleman, Rob Assel, Rob said, hey, why don't you go and talk to Mattel? I said, Mattel, you know, what the hell would I do at Mattel? It's a large toy <laughs> company. I don't, I Barbies, Hot Wheels, no, that's not, not my thing. He said, no, 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 no. The chief strategy officer is this gentleman named Doug Glenn, who is uh, an MIT product uh, from the 60s. And he's trying to bring technology into toys of the future. I think you'll hit it off with him. So anyway, he made the introduction. And this was over, you know, a $2.95 garbanzo bean salad. Because uh, I, I looked for the cheapest thing. I was on complete financial aid. I'm like, what can I have that will give me some protein and not kill me? <laughs> that was a garbanzo bean salad. Um, and, uh, and I went and met Doug. And Doug said, look, we've got a three-person shop. Uh, three different folks from MIT from three different eras, and you'd be the youngest uh, of the bunch. And let's, uh, you know, let's, and our charter is go travel, meet some really interesting technologists and figure out how we can reinvent Mattel. And I said, mm -hmm. that's kind of cool. So it's like a, a startup within, uh, within Mattel. And so that's what I ended up doing. And, and probably the, the claim to fame there was launching a joint venture with Intel and we called it Intel Play. So Andy Grove wanted to get into the technology toy business. Jill Barad uh, wanted to embed uh, more technology into toys uh, at Mattel. And so we called it Intel Play. So I parked myself in Hillsborough, Oregon, uh, next to Intel. That's where our skunk works were. And we designed products and, um, and, and brought it to, to market in, in record time. It was just a remarkable experience. Which one was your favorite? So my favorite was a um, optical zoom microscope. By the way, I'm, I'm kicking myself because I, I, I never saved one. And so I may have to go on eBay and, and, and pay for it. Uh, I don't know how much it costs and if they're around. We made about 300,000 of them. And uh, the, the, the hardest thing, by the way, in the toy business, at least at that time, was um, you have to get the bill of materials down to $33 per unit. Because by the time you pay for it, it's up to 3x. So it has to be sold at $99 retail, which means right. the cost of goods or the bill of material has to be 33. And how do you get electronics and optics and housing and packaging and all that stuff for 33 bucks? That was a, a challenge that I was assigned to, uh, and, and I made it work. So wow. that's, that's my, yeah, that's, that's the one that I, I love. And you can you could actually have time-lapse photography. So one of the use cases, uh, interestingly enough, was kids 
wanted to use uh, you know the sunlight to fry bugs and uh, and 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 use the the magnification of the optics <laughs> to, to to kill little bugs and and actually record it um, this was before social media before anything so you don't have these viral videos going crazy but that was at least a use case we hadn't anticipated but uh, became one of the the more common ones so it's it brought my MIT sort of technology background and taught me a ton about the uh, you know the CPG business the the, the consumer products uh, business uh, here in the US okay we're going to try a very impromptu segment here uh, okay. with the eight ball in your hand yeah. magic eight ball in your hand uh, we'd like to ask it a few questions Okay. Based on the answer, we'd like for you to agree or disagree and give a very brief explanation as to why. <laughs> okay, hold on. I'm still struggling to figure out how to open the darn thing. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm assuming it's a screw on and off. That's the, either that or it has to be, you know, this is like opening the peanut uh, bag on a Southwest Airlines. <laughs> it, took me, it took me 45 minutes once. Uh, just to be able to do that. And by the time I did, I was so frustrated. The damn peanuts went all over the place. But being the optimist, I said, at least I got it done. So anyway. I, I, you know, it's just fascinating to me um, that someone who fixed the Hubble, the Hubble telescope. Yes, yeah. is struggling yeah. to open the eight ball. Is struggling um, to open the eight ball. Yes. To, to be fair, I feel like um, packaging has gotten to like this next level where you just can't get anything open anymore. Like they're using industrial glue and tape <laughs> and you're like, you need like a, a machete to open your you know Amazon package. Yeah. You know what's infuriating? It's the ties, the plastic ties that are so yes. minuscule that you can't yes. even get a scissor in oh, a crevice yeah. to cut them. Uh, I think it's the most ridiculous thing. And if I worked at Mattel or any of these uh, toy manufacturers, I would just be like, look, let's really, let's really just calm down on yeah. the packaging. Can we just dial it back a little bit, please? By the way, I, um, I made Peloton uh, aware of a design flaw. As, oh. as successful as that company is, there's a very, very simple... Uh, sort of design flaw that's there. Uh, um, and my patience, by the way, is being tested, even though I'm a very patient person. <laughs> but the design flaw is as follows. If you have a Peloton, um, you know, where the, uh, you, you take the cord uh, from the power socket and plug it into the back of the, the, uh, the bike, uh, there's an LED, there's a white LED light. Now, even if you don't have it inserted all the way through, the light stays on because all it's telling you is that power is flowing from the socket. Mm. What it doesn't tell you is that it's actually connected to the bike. And it requires a little bit of a push to actually have the port connect. Now, mm. my suggestion to the gentleman on the other side of the, the customer support line was do one of two things. Either don't turn the light on until the connection is made, one, or have two lights where it goes from you know, green to white or white to green, saying that, hey, you have power, so don't worry about that, but it's not fully plugged in. Uh, and that will, you know, solve the issue. So anyway, he was very thankful. Wow. And I, I told him, you know, as and when you make that change, please, uh, please give me some credit for that. And, and he said he'll, he'll make the CEO aware of it. So how, how much yeah. time do you spend calling customer service of companies and giving them suggestions? 
especially if it's around things that as a consumer, by the way, um, I, I feel like it would just help them and yeah. they should know about. I mean, ideally, if, I, if it's a startup, for example, so I always give business to startups, right? So I, 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 had, a, I had a house where there was a company that was doing this sort of uh, next generation rental management thing. And mm-hmm. um, I was one of their first customers. I was like, okay, go ahead and do it. And then I sat them down and did a day long strategy session saying, these are all the issues that I ran into as I was being onboarded and as and when people were getting in touch with me. So they've actually embedded those into their next version and then raise a ton of money. So, so that's good. That's great. And I'm happy, happy for that. A CNBC show like Mojo, startup, um, I startup am, consultant. Am, yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, I I love, I, I love technology, and and I've I've made enough mistakes over my lifetime, both on the tech side and uh, in terms of startups that I've backed. They've made some mistakes that I just if I see that flaw, it it I just feel compelled rather than just letting it, letting it be, you know, linger, um, I'll figure out a way to get to, you know, somebody. And, and to Peloton's, uh, you know, I need to commend them on that. When I call customer support, I mean, they answered right away, rather than a typical bank or insurance company or whatever, where you'd be on call, you know, I'll hold for an hour and a half. And of course, they'll call you back. But just when they call you back is when you've just gotten on another call. So you miss the cycle and the day is gone. So I, I, I do give them uh, do give them credit, guys. I have so, to admit, I am very I'm very um, uh, honest that way. I am I am not able to open the eight ball. <laughs> well, look, I know the eight ball isn't working. How yeah. about if we run through the questions and you give yeah. us a quick yes or a no? Are yeah. you ready? I'm okay. ready. All right. The first question: Will Iron Pillar have a unicorn in the next five years? Absolutely, yes. Do you want to give away which company you believe it will be? So, you know, being an Indian, I'll give you buy one, get one free. Um, okay. so, so there are two companies in our portfolio that are doing remarkably well, uh, especially in the pandemic. Uh, one is a consumer play. The other one is a cloud software um, play. Uh, the consumer play is a company called Fresh to Home. Uh, it's um, fresh, as the name implies, uh, uh, fish, poultry, and produce to your doorstep. Uh, so they, you know, they catch the fish or, or, you know, the fish is caught at three, four in the morning and within 24 hours, it's cleaned, packaged and at your doorstep uh, without any preservatives, et cetera, et cetera. So it's become a habit forming sort of um, uh, company wow. in, in India and, and increasingly the Middle East. They just mm-hmm. raised $121 million uh, that they announced last month. So, so wow. mega round, big company. And Sean, the guy who, who built it was, uh, was the head of Zynga. And he, he, he sort of, um, uh, you know, in a, in a fun way says, uh, my only experience with fish was actually creating a fish game as part of Farmville or something like that at Zynga, you know, but his co-founder comes from fishing and, and the family business. So that's one on the consumer side. On the enterprise side, um, we have a company that's an IIT uh, Madras, now called Chennai, uh, spin out, uh, which is now a Palo Alto headquartered company called Unifor, uh, which does uh, conversational AI and analytics for call centers and customer support centers. Uh, so it's exactly the thing that we're talking about. How does the agent know 
the sentiment, how do they, how do they leverage AI to resolve queries, to escalate to, uh, to the you know, superiors, et cetera, uh, to cut down uh, your time to resolution and increase the, the customer satisfaction score. So that's a company that is uh, quadrupling their ARR this year um, and will be, uh, anyway, they've got a lot of inbound interest for what we think yeah. would be an interesting, um, uh, interesting milestone in the coming weeks. So, so I'll just that's leave awesome. it at that. But both of these companies, I think definitely in the five years, in the next five years, uh, hopefully sooner, will achieve, achieve that, uh, that status. Well, just so you know, I went online and I found a virtual eight ball and I asked that virtual eight ball the same question and it said, you may rely on it. There you go. So right. we're getting an affirmative from the magic eight ball. <laughs> That's right. Now, will Mattel get the customer service AI so that you can call them and tell them that you can <laughs> open the eight ball? <laughs> I think they should just have something right on here. that says, press here. You know? <laughs> here. Absolutely. Just, it's like a prescription bottle. Yeah. yeah. All right. Lightning round. Yes. Uh, will you restart your semi-pro dart throwing career? I am definitely going to be throwing darts. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to go uh, semi-pro with it. Um, but, you know, I'm not a kite surfer like a lot of my VC brethren. I don't do 4 a.m. ice baths and uh, body hacking. But I, I, I win in horseshoes and darts because both of those you can actually throw while you're sipping single malt at the same time. And so uh, I'm, that's about the only thing where I can double, you know, uh, I can multitask. Uh, so yes, I will be putting my Viper uh, dartboard up uh, in the next 24 hours and, uh, and, and get back to, to throwing darts soon. And virtual Love eight it. ball says signs point to yes. So confirmed by the eight ball. Sounds like you're two for two. Confirmed. Thank you yes. eight ball, yes. Uh, and uh, will your blog, which for all of the, the viewers and listeners out there called Jolly's Volleys, go viral and make you famous? Um, that, that is not what I'm looking for. But, um, but if anyone is, is, is interested in learning about my fun experiences in India, please go and read uh, Jolly's Volleys. It'll put a smile on your face. Because um, I, I called it, you know, discovering India through the lens of a VC. And so, um, you know, I am too American for Indians and I'm too Indian for Americans sometimes. So I'm sort of a misfit on, on both sides. But there's some really, really fun experiences that I, I tried to sort of coalesce and write about, uh, which again, taught me a little bit about India, about the way people think and about the way, you know, the entrepreneurs think. So I'm, I'm not looking for fame, by the way. That's not my, my uh, ethos. But heck, if, 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 you know, somebody wants to share and, 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 and have it go viral, um, I'm not going to complain. Virtual 8-Ball says cannot predict now. We don't know. That's, a, that's a, a, a typical VC answer, by the way. It's not a yes or a no. It's a definite maybe. So... <laughs> And the virtual eight ball is, is really undefeated. It's four for four. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Awesome. So I think we'd like to end uh, this podcast and this episode on a, on a sweet note. Uh, and with that, we'd like for you to open up the last box. Oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I know what this is. I know what this is. Okay. Um, for everybody out there, it's, um, it's a little place called Kabila. Uh, it's an Indian, North Indian uh, restaurant and takeout place. And I think I know what this is. If, especially if you told me it's sweets. My favorite sweet is something called jalebi. And I think that's what this is, if I'm not mistaken. If you were going to describe jalebi and what it means to you, to the listeners and viewers out there. It is the absolute polar opposite of what we started this podcast with. It was all about biohacking and, <laughs> and how to prolong life. And, you know, how do you do that? This is the antithesis. So it's three of my favorite food groups, sugar, butter, and dough or flour, deep fried. Um, and, and, and it's, um, please, uh, this should have a, a warning on it, by the way, it should just say, uh, you know, only chew a little bit at a time. You cannot have the entire amount, uh, but it's, it's, um, it's my, uh, what, what should I say? If, if I have a late night, uh, if I'm, you know, down, uh, for some reason, um, uh, you know, uh, this will uh, lighten my mood. And the way I like to, to, to um, uh, imbibe, or I guess uh, uh, take this is, you heat up milk and you dip the jalebi in the milk, let it sort of soak the milk in, the milk gets sweeter. So when you drink the milk, it's sweet. And then at the end of it, you, um, you split the jalebi into small pieces and, uh, and eat it. And I'm, I'm salivating. Uh, you know, between the, the, you know, the single malt and the jalebi, I mean, I, I, my dinner is, is, is here. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm <laughs> overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. This is tremendous. This is tremendous. Thank you so much. And then, you know, all of you have to come over, by the way. Uh, there's no way I'm going to finish this. And I'm not going to allow my, my, my family to finish it because it's just way too much um, uh, sugar and, uh, and, and all that good stuff. Um, which shot glass would you give to me and Vic if we were to come over <laughs> out of your two, your 350 shot glass collection? <laughs> so I think, uh, so I have, I have two, I have, um, a, a, a wooden shot glass. It's, it's sort of, is a, is a sake glass that I got from, um, a, a Japanese village. And one of the elders gave it to me. Now, I don't know if he was telling the truth or not. It's something that had been handed down or had a particular design. So that's one. And the other one is a pewter shot glass that I got from a, a pewter factory in Malaysia, um, which uh, actually is one of my, my favorite pieces. So, so you guys come over and you can decide who wants the Japanese sake glass and who wants the Malaysian pewter. But those would be the two that I'll, um, I'll, be, I'll be honored to, to, to serve you in. Fantastic. So uh, we're going to let you go enjoy uh, the jalebi with the, the warm milk. But before we do, there's still a little bit of Macallan 18 left in your glass. Yes. Uh, and as customary, or we're trying to make customary uh, on our podcast, we love for you to take us out with a toast. Um, this is your time to, uh, you know, uh, and do what you want with it. This is your, your two minutes. Uh... Yeah, look, um, so first of all, I can't thank you guys enough uh, for, for giving me this, uh, this opportunity. And, and the, the, the way I want to leave this is, you know, on a positive note, okay? Um, this year 
2020 has been a very difficult one for, for the entire world. Uh, there's still a lot of turmoil um, that, is, that is going on. And, and in March, I had written a blog, uh, which I called um, Hindsight Will Always Be 2020. So it was, it was a play on, on the number, on, on the words. And I said two things uh, as an optimist, right? So one is the world is indeed united like never before because we're fighting a common enemy. Uh, the irony is an enemy we cannot see. Uh, the virus. And so that's one. The second, though, is, is I'm not a big fan of, of the term social distancing. And so I coined a new term, which I call virtual proximity, which means that thanks to tools like we're using right now, it's actually given us an opportunity to connect with friends, family, loved ones, and others. And in my case, I've, I've used the last you know, several months to connect with people that I may have lost touch with you know, 20, 30 years ago. And, and, and almost every one of those has, uh, has welcomed me back into their lives and said, my goodness, you know, uh, even though 2020 has been a tough one, uh, we're just so glad that we have reconnected as a result. So use virtual proximity and hopefully, you know, we, will, we all shall meet uh, in, in 3D as a, as a friend of mine, of mine told me. So here's to, to you, here's to, um, you know, 2021, and getting through this and, uh, and getting closer as, uh, as humanity, as, 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 as people. So thank you again. Cheers. 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 Wow. Thank you guys. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for, for agreeing to come on. And uh, I mean, it's just been such a pleasure to talk to you. There's, uh, I was so excited uh, when you said yes. Um, because for me, you know, it's like a buy, right? Like a, an Indian brother, older brother that you look up to, um, you see a lot of yourself in and, and, and people who, who molded me in the way that I think and the way that I act. And so to, to be able to ask you questions and, and to get this time with you is really special. No, likewise. It's been a it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Thank you for these amazing, amazing gifts, and and I hope that I get to enjoy them, you know, with all of you at some point um, in the in the near future. So so thank you, thank you. Cheers.